be gathered in the presence of Christ. What a great mercy. What a great hope we have. Uh, in that day, we won't be going home. We'll just be there. Uh, if you have a cell phone, would you please check it at this moment and make sure that it's on mute? <clears throat> we appreciate that. And if you are here with little ones, uh, we are delighted that they are in here with us. You see our children with us. We believe that they should be here and under the word of Almighty God. <clears throat> if, if you have little ones that need to be quieted, you can take them right into the uh, next room through that large gray door in the back. We have a large screen there where you can continue to follow uh, the sermon. And uh, we want you to be comfortable uh, if your little one quiets down, please return. You're not being banished. It's just a good time for training and teaching our little ones as they sit with us. <clears throat> We're returning to the, the book of Romans this morning. Uh, we have not been doing an exposition of the epistle itself, for those of you that are visiting with us. We have been looking at Romans chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10 on the subject, first of all, the larger subject of conscience. And the last several weeks, we have been making applications regarding the subject of stumbling blocks, stumbling blocks, an issue that is vital to a healthy Christian life, uh, the understanding that we are not to stumble one another into sin, but that is a matter that's not generally preached too often today. It's kind of in the category of mortification. <clears throat> there should be more preaching on the mortification of sin. We would all have a healthier walk with the living God if we were actively at war with our sins, not comfortable with it, especially not comfortable in the name of grace. <clears throat> that being the case, we will be looking at stumbling blocks again this morning. We will be reading uh, Romans chapter 14, <clears throat> verses 9 through 15. Romans chapter 14, verses 9 through 15. If you would stand with me one more time, we will give our attention to the Word of God. Verse 9, Romans 14. This is the word of God. <clears throat> For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. 
So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Amen. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. <clears throat> If you have a condition that makes it difficult for you to stand, please feel free to be seated. Otherwise, we will stand before the presence of the Lord in prayer, asking his blessing upon the preaching of his word and upon this congregation. O righteous and holy Father, great God of wonders, great is thy faithfulness. And we are thankful to be in thy presence today with thy people, to hear thy word, and to offer up thy worship. I thank thee, O Lord, that we could sing of Christ and his saving grace and power. I thank thee, O God, for the prayers that have been offered up. We know that thou dost hear them through Christ Jesus, our intercessor. Oh, how great our Christ is. How we thank thee for our prophet, our priest, and our king. Oh, blessed lover of our soul, draw near. Draw near to us now. Lord Jesus, we open the pages of thy book and we find thee among the candlesticks. Thou art always engaged, always involved in the lives of of the people in thy churches. We have confidence today that thou knowest us well. We have confidence that thou art interceding for us. We have confidence, O Lord, that if it please thee, thou wilt shower us with the blessings of the Holy Spirit. Fill our souls with the joy that comes from the love of God. Reprove us in our sins. Rebuke us. Correct us. Love us and draw us near to thy great and glorious love. O Christ, thou art the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. Help us to drink from that fountain today. Help us to drink deeply. I ask thee, O God, as thou dost see us perfectly, that thou wouldst put the, the, the blaze of thy eyes upon the lost. Discomfort them. Don't let them be comfortable in their lostness, their Christlessness. Don't let them be comfortable in rebellion against thee. Don't let them be comfortable in their unbelief. Oh, please, oh Christ. Please, oh Christ. Come in saving power. And I pray for thy dear blood-bought people. Lord, for thy sheep that are here this morning. Oh, how I pray 
that as thou dost reign in grace, that thou wilt shower sanctifying mercies upon each one. O Father, as I have prayed, correct us, reprove us, comfort us, lift our hearts with joy unto thee. Where we need to be sober, may we be sober. Lord, where we may overflow with abundant rejoicing, let us rejoice. And now, O God, these are thy people. Bless them. Bless them with thy word. Make us aware of spiritual realities today. Make us to know the presence and power of thy spirit as thou dost work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Jesus and Paul have warned us not to stumble others into sin. Now, do not miss the point. When Jesus and Paul warn us about something, it means the Almighty Creator, the Sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, the Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit warns us, warns you. Does he have your attention? You need to answer that question. Jesus said that we should not cause even one of his little children to stumble. Are we listening? If someone stumbles a believer in Christ, it is better, says Christ, for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Are we paying attention? Furthermore, Jesus said, Woe unto the world because of offenses. When God says that, we need to sit up and pay attention. Woe! Woe! Jesus said, For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man or woman by whom the offense cometh. Are we listening? Are we taking God seriously? And Paul warned, Through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish? Shall he perish? For whom Christ died? But when ye sin... 
So, that little word so is very important there. When you sin, so, it's talking about magnitude, greatness, immensity. When you sin, so, against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. That should sober each of us. I would hope that if we took it seriously, it would sweeten each of us. Are we getting this? The Puritan John Flavel got it. He said, quote, It is the express will of God that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. It is an argument of little regard to the honor of Christ or the souls of men to do so. You do not care what Christ has decreed. If you're not listening to this, you do not care that the Christ who shed his blood, said, don't stumble, my children. Flavel goes on to say, oh, professors, look to your steps. The devil desires to make use of you for such purposes. The sins of thousands of others who make no profession of godliness will never so fit the devil's purpose for the blinding of those men's eyes as the least slip or failing of yours will do. Close quote. Flavel got it. You are the devil's instrument When you cause God's children to sin. At that moment you're not Christ's instrument. You may very well be one of his blood bought children. But he has warned his blood bought children. Don't stumble my people. Better for you to be drowned. That's Do you believe that the Christ who is love said that? That's shocking language. Better for you to be drowned in the depth of the sea than to stumble one of my children. Wow. Well, I know my corpse would be at the bottom of the sea. What about you? For those of you who have not been with us, stumbling... Someone else is very easy. It's extremely easy to do. In fact, you can be just like Peter and think that you're doing something good when you're stumbling God's children. Jesus said, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. He passes blessing upon him for declaring that he is the Christ. He said, but now I want you to know you didn't figure that out. My father in heaven revealed that to you. Flesh and blood didn't get that. But my father revealed to you who I am. And then Jesus, who's just been praised and announced as the Christ, says, now we're going to go up to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And I'm going to rise again. And the same Peter said, no! Lord, may that never be to you. Peter thought he was defending Christ Jesus when he had become Satan's instrument to stumble. Get thee behind me, Satan! That's astounding. From blessing to being called Satan. Why? Because Satan does all he can to resist the work of Christ, the glory of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the truth of Christ. And when we stumble our brethren, we have taken on his work. Oh, my brethren, the eternal Son of God loved us before he created the universe. He saw us in our sin-loving corruption. And he loved us so that he entered this world born of a virgin. And in his life, his death, And his resurrection, he taught us how to love. Love like I do, he said. Are you learning? Are you sitting at his feet like Mary? She got the best part. Martha was in the kitchen. Mary said to Jesus, are you listening to Christ? Are you hearing his words? I would say that in the vast majority of cases, and I don't know this supernaturally, but American Christianity is as deaf as a stone. It's not listening and it's not obeying. And that's one of the reasons we see what we see. I'm astounded that people say... All the problems. Oh, look at what's going on. It's all because of the left. No, it's all because of the the pulpits and God's people. We have let them destroy a place of freedom. We sat back while we just went to Disneyland and let everybody have their good old time. Ew, we don't want to talk about that subject. That's kind of gross. And so now... It is jumping down your throat. Some of us are saying, I'm still hearing people going, this happened so fast. It hasn't been fast. It's been going on for decades. 
And God's people, at least some faithful pastors have said, no. And they just got called legalists. Oh, they're, uh, they're not loving. Jesus taught us how to love. I think we've been playing hooky from school. For that reason, he commanded us these things. I, the living God, come in the flesh, have spoken unto you. Listen carefully. That my joy might remain in you. Are the churches happy? Sometimes the only thing that's making them happy is the backbeat. But are we happy with Christ? Are we happy with his word? Are we happy with his spirit? Are we happy with his blood-bought people? Do we even consider how we may be making them stumble? Oh, my friends, listen to these sweet words of Christ. That my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. How is your joy meter? Is it pegging down in the red? Or is it over here close to empty? Where is it? Real joy comes from submitting and walking with Christ. Submitting to and walking with Christ. That's where real joy is. It's not in Disneyland. And it's not any of the palaces and kingdoms that the world vomits up. It's in the kingdom of God and his people. We're not much. But Christ loves us. And he's called us to walk with him. He has shed his blood that our sins might be washed away. But not just so, oh, we can go to heaven when everything's over. I've lived my life the way I want to. I've pretty much done the things that I like to do. I'm comfortable with the world, except one day I'll probably die and go to heaven. Hope that that doesn't happen too soon. Jesus said, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I've loved you. What would our report card look like? Be honest. What would our report card look like? I never liked seeing a red letter show up on my report card. I didn't want to bring it to my parents. How are we doing? Because of what Christ has commanded here, every congregation, every congregation should be a community of love. That's what this should be right here. Not just people who don't go to the movies or that, oh, I got grace. I go to the movies. That's not the point. This should be a place where the love of Jesus Christ is palpable. Why? Because you're born of God's spirit. His spirit dwells within you. He's given you his word and he's given you his people to walk with. You should love them. This should be a community of love. And you know it. You don't have to guess. Pure love. 
edifying love, encouraging love, sorrow-carrying love, rebuking love, self-denying love, self-sacrificing love, and joyful love. Joyful. Are you having problems loving God's people because they're not quite enough like you? What's the measure? It's Christ. That's the measure. That's the measure. Well then, setting stumbling blocks before others is the opposite of the love that Jesus commands. It's the opposite. In fact, it's opposition to love. As Paul says, if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Now it's easy to lose that in the authorized version. But we might paraphrase it this way. The point is, if your brother or sister in Christ is grieved or distressed by things you say or do when it comes to conscience controversies, you are no longer living according to Jesus' love. Wow. That's sobering. Oh, how we need... Oh, how we need the pure love of Christ to wash over us. To fill us. I don't just want to hear about it. I want to be filled with it. And I want to express it. And I especially want to express it to his people. We need his great love to transform us. And it does. If we know him and that great love. If Jesus really loves you, you can't help but shed it. <laughs> if you've been vaccinated with Christ's love, you're going to shed to all the people around you. Amen. Because to stumble another believer, to stumble your congregation... To stumble your family is the opposite of God's love in Christ. It's an enemy within. And our subject has been some of the ways that we can stumble the members of our family. For those of you visiting, we've been looking at how you can stumble the members of your family. Because if that's going on in your house, what do you think's going on in your congregation? If you don't have that thing under control at your house, do you think that it's going to be under control here? This is Jesus' blood-bought property. It's his. It's not mine. 
Not Pastor Clarence's. This is Jesus' church. And every true congregation is Jesus' possession. Bought by the blood of the Lamb. And those communities ought to be reflecting the love that we're drinking in from him. We can't make it up. I can't make up love like his. I have to look at him and say, how do I do this? So our message is entitled. Yes, that was the introduction. Stumbling your family. This is part six. Part six. Stumbling your family. Now, may our great, glorious, and holy Father lavish his love upon us through his Son, Jesus Christ. And may the power of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us, shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. I want to know that. I want you to know that. I want God to work in us in these days. So, our major heading has been, in what ways can we stumble others? In what ways can we stumble others? There's too many to be exhaustive. But, we can stumble others in our family. That's where we began. And one, spouses can stumble their spouses, right? (laughs) Husbands can stumble their wives And wives can stumble their husbands. It starts right at home, just like Adam and Eve. We're all here because there was a domestic problem in the garden. And a wife, a wife stumbled her husband. Amen. Now, number two, parents can stumble their children. We looked at that. We spent some time on that. But last week, we turned it around. We're talking about children can stumble their parents. What? (laughs) Children can stumble their parents. They can become the occasion for sin in the house. Last time we addressed children and young people. And we're continuing that this week. Oh, precious children. I asked you a question last week. I wonder if any of you remember it. Do you know who and what you really are? Do you? Did you think about it this week? Did you even care about it this week? We answered the question from the Bible. At least I tried. Let's consider who and what you are again, just very briefly as a review. You are, not will be, ought to be, might be, could be. You are an image bearer of God as a male or female. That's it. That is what you are. That is who you are. Made in the image of God and what you are. You were a male or you were a female. You did not descend from an ape. You are not a male in a female body. 
You are not a male in a female, in a, you are not a female in a male body. You are God's image bearer. And God blessed his image bearers with the power to reproduce more image bearers. That's, that's amazing. We can make more image bearers. But no, we're paying doctors all over the country to slaughter them. And they're happy to get the money. And Satan is happy for their blood to be shed. The furor that is taking place in our country because the Supreme Court said, you know, this issue about abortion really ought to be handled by the states. That's what it should have been to begin with. And the states could say yes or no. So riots are breaking out everywhere. Why? It's all about the slaughter of image bearers of God. The whole thing was schemed up by people who utterly despise other ethnic groups. It's all an unreal and unbelievable and a remarkably profitable satanic endeavor. That body you're in right now never has been yours. It's God's. Now, after we die in this world, each, each of God's image bearers will live consciously in eternity in heaven or hell. That's it. And that is why regenerate parents bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And once again, children and young people, as I said last week, you have three deadly enemies. If you don't remember them, you might have caved into them this week. You've got three deadly enemies. First and foremost, your heart. Number two, the world. Number three, Satan and other demonic forces. Now, as we learned, your heart, at least I hope you learned, I hope you at least thought about this, your heart is a perpetual factory of stumbling blocks. A stumbling block is something said or done in such a way that causes someone else to sin or it hinders their walk with the living Christ. Slows them down. It's concrete shoes in the pool. You can, precious children, you can stumble your parents. Even godly parents. How I pray that you will hear and believe what God's word says. Now consider, God has commanded you, following our review, he has now commanded you to honor thy father and thy mother. Now, in a church like ours, <laughs> that, that may be the first verse some people in this congregation learn, or at least that they hear repeated. 
But God, your creator, has commanded you, honor thy father and thy mother. But you were born with a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can't. Neither can I. That's how foul and wicked it is. Now, don't protest. Oh, but that's just the Jewish Old Testament. No. Hear what Paul, the apostle of the New Covenant, says to the Gentile Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I'm going to take a wild guess, but I would imagine... Almost every child or young person here knows what the opposite of right is. If you're not obeying your parents, where are you? You're in the wrong. There's not any other option, by the way. There's no middle ground. Well, I'm kind of just kind of in the middle here somewhere. Oh, no, you're not. You're honoring your parents or you're not. That's a no middle ground issue. Paul goes on to say, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Why are you preaching that Jewish law to these Gentile children? Because God's law still stands. That's why. Now, why does this matter? <clears throat> Some of you here, and I didn't look, I'm not saying, and I'm not thinking about anybody here in particular. Some of you may have had at least an inner eye rolling. It's like, oh, we've heard this verse about a thousand times. Right? Yeah, do you obey it? Do you know how to obey it? Do you know how to do it in a way that pleases God? Because you can outwardly obey your parents in a way that's a crime against heaven. What? If your heart isn't in it, you haven't obeyed God. Again, why does this matter? Well, because God has appointed two of his representatives, father and mother, to bring you up for him. That's a hard job. <laughs> That's a hard job. Pharaoh's daughter said to Moses' sister, take this child away and nurse it for me. In the same way, God has said to parents, this is my image bearer. Bring him, bring her up for me. Period. I mean, this is what God has commanded you. Oh, I just want a lot of children because I just want a whole bunch of them around me. They're so cute and all that stuff. Well, they are. But God's point is for you to bring up his image bearer according to his word. Every single one of them that he gives you. Nurse that child. Bring it up in the nurture and admonition of my son, Christ Jesus. The word honor means heavy, weighty. 
When applied to people, as in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it means noteworthy, impressive. To honor someone in that way, then, means that the person deserves, because they're weighty, because they're, they're heavy, they deserve respect. God says so. You don't know my mom. You don't know my dad. God does. He gave them to you. Well, they're faulty. Mm. How are you doing with fault? Boy, sure is easy for sinners to sit back and talk about how wicked somebody else is. How weak and feeble somebody else is. How they can come to some of those crazy decisions that they make for me. That's right. And God told them to. Now, they can do it wrong. They can dishonor God. But we'll talk about that more as we go. It's often applied, this word, honor thy father and thy mother. In fact, this commandment is often applied not just to fathers and mothers. Of course, that's where it starts. Because that's the first people that the baby sees and knows. Right? But it's applied to pastors. It's applied to teachers. It's applied to kings, judges, civil magistrate. The Bible calls many of these people fathers. Naaman's servant said, Oh, my father, to a civil servant, a soldier. In that sense, it is usually translated honored, honorable, or glorified, glorious. Now, we still see this in courtrooms today. Believe it or not, the bailiff will usually say something like this. Quote, all rise. The court of the second judicial circuit, criminal division, is now in session. The Honorable Judge Smith Wesson presiding is now... I thought I could do that without laughing. (laughs) Sounds like a pretty good judge to me. (laughs) The Honorable Judge Smith Wesson presiding is now in session. Please be seated and come to order. Right? We're saying honorable... Honorable. Sometimes they're not honorable, are they? But we found out there's a lot of wicked and corrupt judges. But when it comes to the court, you can't sit there and disrespect them or you'll find yourself in trouble. Consider Leviticus 19.3. Ye shall fear every man, his mother and his father. That's a command from God. Fear. Your father and your mother. But it even starts with the mother here. There's a lot of speculation as to why it has mother first when generally father's first. But the verse ends with, I am the Lord your God. Fear your mother and your father. I am the Lord your God. What's he saying? I'm the God of the covenant. And I command you... 
And I expect you to do this. As I said, the mothers listed first here in this particular command. Thomas Watson suggests that, <clears throat> quote, the mother is first named partly to put honor upon the mother because by reason of many weaknesses incident to her sex, she is apt to be more slighted by the children. And you watch a lot of times children mouth off to mom all day long. Dad gets home. They don't mouth off to him. In fact, if father is doing what he's supposed to do, he needs to come home and find out if those children have obeyed mom. And if not, court is in. So, Watson goes on to say, partly because the mother endures more from the child or endures more for the child. Well, anyway, whatever the purpose, God says mother, father, father, mother. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, wise Solomon said. And then he commands children, obey the law of your father and your mother. You can't disrespect her any more than you can disrespect him. This is the command of God. Are you listening? Listen, let's all listen very carefully to the Westminster Assembly's larger catechism on the fifth commandment. I want you to listen carefully. <clears throat> this takes us to the heading. What are some of the ways that you can honor your parents? If they are by the heaviness of the responsibility given to them by God and the authority that they show. Then what are some of the ways you honor your parents? Have you ever thought about that? You know, a lot of times young people in Christian homes and some and this can be the parents' fault. The only thing they think of of honoring their father and the mother is just obeying them. But it goes way beyond that. Question 127 in the larger catechism says this. What is the honor that inferiors owe to their superiors? Now, this is not talking about nature. It's not saying that children are inferior to their parents in their nature. They're all human beings. They're all God uh, Im God's image bearers. So inferior and superior here, these are words that we don't like to use anymore, at least applied to people or at least, you know, applied to me, right? Unless I'm the superior. So what is it? What is what is honoring mean here? Now, these these great and blessed theologians studied and studied and looked at the scriptures. And this was their summary it's, it's not exhaustive, but here's their summary of what it means to honor your father and your mother. Young people, listen carefully. All of these are, uh, have, have proof texts attached to them. So you can, you can get the, the large catechism, larger catechism, and look them up. The honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all due 
reverence in heart, word, and behavior. Prayer and thanksgiving for them. Imitation of their virtues and graces. Willing obedience. Hear that adjective? Willing. Willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels. Do submission to their corrections. I'll repeat that if you missed it. Do submission to their corrections. Fidelity to defense and maintenance of their persons and authority. And the nature of their places. <laughs> In other words, this is your husband, uh, this is your father, this is your mother. You should defend their authority. You should defend their reputation. Bearing with their infirmities. Oh, we don't want to do that. We want to go gripe. We want to find somebody. We can say, you know, my mom did this. She said this. My dad's done this. Oh, he's too hard. He's this. He's that. God says, you're sinning. And we're not talking about someone who is actually abusively sinning toward his children. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he's saying, look, you are a sinner and you're full of fault and errors. Your parents are too. And if they know the Lord, they're doing their best. If they know the Lord. Now, if they're just religionists, they can cruise on with life and, and just bring you up the way their folks brought them up. But if you're a Christian, you go, I've got a book. God gave me this book. He told me to bring these children up according to this book. It means I've got to know the book. And then I have to act in a way that says to my children, I believe this book. Bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love. I'm going to cover over that so nobody has to know about that but me and the Lord. So that they may be an honor to them and to their government. You are to honor them. Let, let, let me make a footnote to this that maybe will help illustrate what I'm talking about. I'm not asking who anybody voted for right now. I'm not talking about who uh, should or should not be in the office. President Joe Biden was put there by God. Kamala Harris was put there by God. Now, if you spend a lot of your time listening to the conservative talk show guys, we talk about Biden. We talk about Brandon. 
We talk about this and that and the utter disrespect of those that are in the office. Wait a minute, wait a minute. But I don't like their policies. They're this, they're that. They're all of these evil or wicked things. Or maybe not. But the fact of the matter is they're to be respected because God put them there. Same thing with your parents. My father was an alcoholic. But you didn't come and tell me to my face, your dad's drunk. He had his failures and his sins. But that was the father God gave me. Needs to be respected in that place. Well, they're not living respectful. Mm -hmm. Okay, you work on you. And deal with them later, according to God's word. The disrespect the various parties show to each other means that they live in rebellion to God and authority. Are you getting this? I haven't had anything good to say about most presidents in the last 20 years. Our saviors are not political. Now, having said that, I I, I would love eventually to teach on the Ten Commandments and, and spend a lot of time right here on the Fifth Commandment. I'm running over it very quickly. But let me just say this. Let's consider the things that were there that mean honor. All right, let's, let's just run over quickly what those things are. <clears throat> Number one, notice that the very first thing on the list was reverence. Reverence for your parents. Oh, I can put up with them. No, God says revere them. You know how sinful they are. Mm-hmm. God does, and God still said it. It doesn't mean you're saying that their sins are okay. It means you realize who put that person there. And you take that into consideration. Precious children, listen. Listen. You must learn to fear or reverence your parents. Not just tolerate. Not just grit your teeth. Now, what do I mean by fearing your parents? I don't mean like your parents are boo scary. Some of us might be, but I'm talking about the fact that here we're looking at a different way of understanding the word fear. I'm not talking about children living in paralyzing fear of their parents because of abusive violence. I'm not talking about that. It's not okay. Abuse is not okay ever. It is sin against God. So what do I mean by fearing your parents? By that, I do not mean it's okay for them to uh, abuse you violently and sinfully. Fear or reverence for your parents comes from the fear of God because they're God's representatives. Charles Bridges, in his wonderful commentary on the Proverbs, says this. 
He defines the fear of God this way. Listen carefully. This is one of those 18th century, you know, mile-long sentences. But it's really good. Fear of God is that affectionate reverence. It is that affectionate respect by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. His wrath is so bitter and his love so sweet that hence springs an earnest desire to please him. And because of the dangers of coming short from his own weakness and temptations, a holy fear, anxious care and watchfulness that he might not sin against him. Do we get that? It's long. I understand that. If you want it, I'll send it to you. But it's an affectionate respect. Where does it arise from? This is that we're to fear God. And it's a real fear. And it is, we have drunk from the fountain of his love, and it was so sweet. And we loved him because of his love for us. And because we know his discipline is severe. We walk in such a way as not to offend him. We don't offend him, not just for fear. I mean, this is why I was talking about a week or two ago, the parents that just immediately rush to get the, the rod to deal with everything with their children. You can convince them, you know what? I don't think I want to be disciplined again. But it's not because they love you. It's because, boy, I sure want to avoid that pants fire. All right. Is that right? You can teach your children to like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I know what comes after that. That's not bad in itself. But if that's all, all you've done is taught them how to play a game. What we need is love. That's why Bridges does this so beautifully. I think his definition is beautiful. His wrath is so bitter and his love is so sweet that from that springs an earnest desire to please him. We want to honor him because he loves us. We want to honor him because he loves us. And that's exactly the way we ought to be as parents. They need to know both. Both. A sweet, sweet love that draws the heart and painful consequences of disobedience. If you're not doing both of them, you're perverting the way that child thinks. Especially about God. Because God is not a cream puff in the sky. You read what he told the prophets to say to his beloved Israel. Your bodies will drop like dung on the earth. That's God who loved them. I will take the dung of your sacrifices and wipe it on your faces. That's exactly what God says. 
They knew a great and a glorious love that lifted the heart up in praise and worship and adoration. They also knew penalties that really troubled them. So, out of love and understanding discipline, a respect, a deep reverence for them. He doesn't just haul off and get angry with me and discipline me. I know that when he deals with me, when she deals with me, it's because she loves me. And I don't want to break that love. And I have. You get that? That's important. That's vital. It's vital. If you're all of one or the other, your children are not going to get God right. Well, so the idea is we don't want to sin against God because of his love and because of the penalties that come from his love. As far as a child is concerned, parents are in the place of God. That's who they hear about God from first, generally speaking. Therefore, it is vital for fathers and mothers to teach law and grace to their children in love. You notice this issue of reverence is right at the head of the list. Honor your father and your mother. Love them. Have a proper respect for them. Notice, it doesn't just start off saying, y'all got to obey. Sad parents, many of you, that's just where it starts. As opposed to a clear love and then obedience. You didn't just run to Christ because he disciplines you. Now, when he dealt with your sin, it wasn't fun. But when you came to see your lostness and you looked to him, you saw love beyond anything you could imagine. I once had the miserable experience of reading some texts that children had passed between each other. And in it, they began to mock and deride their father. That was one of those situations where I, I knew the man. I knew he had some issues. I knew the problems. <clears throat> but at the same time to think that those that you fed and clothed and cared for and pointed to Christ, that you have the satanic Hatred in your flesh to mock your parents to others. Listen, be clear about this. God hates it. Because weak as that feeble vessel is, that's your father. That's your mother. And God put them there and you need to reverence them. That's hard to do. That's hard to do when somebody is not respectful. And that's why you need a new heart. You won't do it without a new heart. 
Listen. Children and young people, do you respect your parents in words? Do you? God hears everything you say and everything you think. And that's not a boogeyman type statement that, parent, uh, that pastors use to wake up children. I'm telling you that we're all going to stand before God. We've already seen it in the text in Romans 14. God gave you those parents, weak or feeble. If you think you're a Christian, you need to be loving them to the best of your ability. It's hard to do. I'm not telling you something easy. I'm telling you something that you've got to die to yourself to do. And that's Christ's love. My parents are so strict. You need to be glad you're not in hell yet. You'll get a different understanding of the word strict. Do you respect your parents in your words? Do you respect your, your parents in your attitudes? Oh, some of you know you can't shoot your mouth off. But I can tell you that your eye rolling is not sanctified. It isn't. How about your body language? Didn't I tell you I wanted you to do this? What does your body say? What does the expression on your face say? This is not little. If you've been following me, then you understand if it's not going the right way at the house on these matters, why in the world do you think that God's people are going to do it right? They're not. That's one of the reasons our churches are in such trouble. They don't love like Jesus. And they don't mind dropping stumbling blocks in front of people that don't agree with them. Listen, King Solomon honored his mother, the wisest man that's ever lived apart from Jesus, the richest man in the world at that time. Listen. Bathsheba therefore went unto King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her. Listen. The king. The king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her. And sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. I mean, when the king bows, it's not just what's going on with customs. He understood as the wisest man what honor thy father and mother meant. And he showed them respect, showed her respect. The Lord sees your disrespect, whether it's on your face or in your heart. The king rose up to meet her. Well. Second on the list. Was prayer and thanksgiving for your, your, your parents. Um, we've been through Father's Day and Mother's Day this year. You know. And, and let me just say. I'm very thankful that, that most of our families. At some level. 
you know, thank mom, thank dad. They show him some things. But when it's just like something once a year, something's not right. Now, I want to speak to those of you that profess to be Christians at this point, children or young people. Now, you know that your mom, especially, and your dad, when they get that, you know, Daddy, I love you on, on Father's Day or Mother's Day. That's sweet. That's sweet to them. They, they appreciate that. That's about the only time you say it. Something is drastically wrong. Now, I'm talking to those who profess to be Christians. When was the last time you went to your mother and you said you know mom I really love you I'm amazed that you put up with me I'm sorry that I grieve you and disturb the house but I want you to know that I love you I want to thank you for correcting me. And I pray for you all the time. May the Lord bless you as you continue this work. Tried anything like that? How about your dad? Dad, you know, I know you work hard. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you that the Lord has used your word to provide for me. I'm thankful for the clothes I can put on my body. I'm thankful for the food that I can put in in my body. I'm thankful for the home you've provided for me. I don't have to sleep with the homeless under the interstate. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Thank you for being faithful to my soul and reading the scriptures to me. And praying for me. I pray for you. Does this sound like a fantasy? I hope not. I hope it's a regular practice. If it's not, I challenge you to ask yourself, why isn't that a reality in the scriptures? When you're to honor your father and your mother. With your attitudes, with your words. Oh, I'm thankful there's a savior. I'm thankful that there's a Savior. Thirdly, imitation of their virtues and graces. If your parents are Christian, they're imperfect, but there are things in their lives that show you the love for Christ. Are you imitating that? See, that honors them. Their hearts are broken when you spend all of your time arguing with them and wanting to do it your way. Are you getting this? You need to listen. Imitation of their virtues and graces. Yes, they sin. You? How's it been so far today? Number four. Willful obedience, willful obedience to their commands and counsels. 
Now, we've got a lot of bright young people here. Some of you are just ex exceptionally bright. I thank the Lord. You're intelligent. You're great homeschool students and all of that kind of stuff. But you're smarter than your parents, right? And you know this. But in a Christian home, you probably shouldn't say that. So you don't. Willful obedience to their counsels. It doesn't matter if you actually know better. The one that the Lord has put over you has said, this is what I want you to do. You've come to me and you've asked me how to deal with this. This is what I would recommend. Now, there are times when they say, well, you know, I mean, uh, you know, if, if this doesn't resolve it for you, you know, get, get the kind of help that you can. You know. Go talk to Pastor Clarence. <laughs> All right? But I'm going to tell you, you might, it's possible, you might be smarter than your folks, but you are not wiser. And you are not more discerning. And you need wisdom and discernment. You wouldn't do half the stuff you did if you had discernment. You would make the decisions about friends, activities, if you had discernment. Your smartness may simply be that which your pride hijacks and helps you to hell with. So, <clears throat> your profession is on the line. Your parents have counsels to you. You need to walk in them and honor the Lord. When you set up your own house... You can do what you think is honoring to Christ. Well, we're out of time. I was almost close to finishing. Operative word there is almost. Let me, let me, let me end this part of it with a story about Rehoboam. Perhaps you've read of Rehoboam in the book of Kings. Now listen carefully. We have to be careful. I know that we can go into the scriptures and we can just take a scenario out, you know, for a moralism. And we're not really getting the picture of what's going on in the uh, redemptive flow of the Bible. But there are things to learn from the examples that are there. And I would set this before you. Listen carefully. King Solomon. King Solomon. Had a son named Rehoboam. When Solomon died, his son Rehoboam was crowned king. The people of Israel went to him and said, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us, lighter, and we will serve thee. Ten tribes. Ten tribes of Israel said, He was rough on us. If you'll lighten up, we'll serve you. We will be your slaves. Ten tribes. Rehoboam asked the old men that had counseled his father and that had stood in the presence of the wisest man that ever lived. And they said, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. 
See, in our culture, Satan wants age to be despised and disposable. And the young are the bright and the best. That's not the doctrine of Scripture. So the wise men, the older men who had experience and had walked and lived in the presence of Solomon, they said, here, do this. Then Rehoboam asked the young men that he had grown up with. And they said to tell them, here's what the young guys said, thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say to them, my little finger will be thicker than my father's loins. You think dad was tough? Watch this. And now, whereas my father laid you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scorpions. How about that? All ten tribes left. And that was dividing the kingdom that God had given to David and to Solomon. And they stayed separated till both of them were dragged off into captivity. Your friends, young people, don't know any more than you do, generally speaking. When you need to make decisions, you need to talk to people who have some life experience. But they're old. Mm -hmm. They probably know ten times more than you do. Yeah, but uh, you're going you're gonna to get the counsel that you like. <laughs> Are you listening? You can make your parents stumble over every one of these things. Every one of them. Because life's all about me and how smart I am. My life's all about me and what I want to do, what I want to wear, what I want to listen to, what I want to watch. And the day will come when they'll be out of the way and I can do what I want. Now, some of you generally wouldn't say it that way, but I can tell you that for some, it's a camp set up in your heart waiting to express itself. If you know the Lord, you need to do some heart work with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some serious heart work. You need the counsel of those that are wise and have some discernment. Nobody has it all. There's safety in the multitude of counselors. By the way, parents, many of you are so American, you never think of going to other men in the congregation and asking about the decision you're about to make for your family. What? There's safety in the multitude of counselors. I'm not saying you have to go to everybody. I'm not saying you have to go... At every single decision. It isn't as if like, uh, well, I think I'm going to go to Walmart this afternoon and buy some groceries. Well, I can, you probably don't need much counsel for that. But you're going to be making decisions. Somebody actually might tell you a place to get the same food for a lot less. Wisdom and discernment. Young people, you've got to have it. And it doesn't come to you generally by nature. It will come from the word of God in Christ. Well, 
We'll finish this up next week, and God willing, we will move into how you can stumble your congregation. But let me... Let me take us to the last part. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. There are two kinds of children and young people here. Those that are dead in their sins and trespasses, and those who are alive in Christ. Life in Christ manifests itself a particular way. Not with perfect people but with a love for Christ that learns how to love others that way. When parents bring their children and say, and they've taught their children to say, I believe the Lord has saved me because we don't listen to, oh, I made a decision, right? So I have to have some good Calvinistic sounding words. And they'll come in and they'll tell us various things. One of the questions We have always asked, Brother Clarence and I, and we will always ask, is, okay, good. You understand this? You understand the gospel? I'm very thankful. How's your relationship with your siblings? Would they think for a moment that you're a Christian? Have you given them any reason to believe you care for their souls? Or that there's some change in the way you deal with them? How do you deal with your siblings? God gave them to you. Then we ask, how's your relationship with your parents? If you've got a new heart, there will be something about your relationship with your parents and with your siblings that's real. That has changed. So receive the engrafted word. The idea of engrafting here by the way. Is the the preaching of the gospel. The Holy Spirit brings it into the heart. You begin to believe the word of God. You begin to walk according to the word of God. You don't understand everything in it. But the things that you do understand. You love them and you want to walk in them. Nobody does it perfectly. But people with new hearts do it. It is the gospel implanted in you by the preaching of the word. To believe it to the saving of your souls is vital. Children and young people, I plead with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Believe the living word. Believe the word of God. Believe the God of the scriptures. Believe the son of God. Believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Believe that Jesus is the God-man. Believe that his life, death, and resurrection is what you need for the forgiveness of your sins. And cry out to God to save you early. And then walk with Jesus all the days of your life. That's wisdom. And by faith in Christ and love for your parents... Avoid stumbling them. Amen. Father, we love thee and we praise thee and we thank thee. We thank thee for the grace that saves us because 
None of us, oh Lord, none of us has honored our parents as we should. But we thank thee for them. If we have new hearts, we can truly be grateful for the ones you put over us. Oh, Father, I pray with all of my heart that thou wouldst deal with all of us here, that we would listen to thy word and walk in it because of thy great love for us in Christ. Now, take us from this place. May our hearts meditate upon these things. May we contemplate. May we discuss them with others. And we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Do you please stand with me? Now, the God of peace, who brought again from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good will, uh, every good work to do his will, working in you. Working in you. Oh, I'm thankful to hear that. Working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. And ever. Amen. Amen. Let us go in the name of the Lord Jesus.